You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Greetings, everyone, uh, and welcome to our time here together uh, exploring the teachings of the Christian mystic uh, Thomas Merton, turning to Merton uh, for guidance in our day-by-day lives. And in this session, I want to focus on uh, the, the purgative aspects of being uh, discerning that we're being interiorly drawn toward more interior, mystical ways of experiencing and responding to God's presence in our lives. Uh, discerning what the, the, the gift of it, like how to recognize that it's occurring, and how to understand the purgative, that is, the, the purifying aspects of what we must undergo in order for the union with God we long for to occur. This will uh, allow us then in the, in the following session to uh, turn to Merton's insights to the, the fullness of the union that arises out of that purgation. So that there is a purgation, there is a kind of a, an unraveling or an undoing of the ability to live on our own terms. And then out of the deep acceptance of that unraveling, then there arises uh, the long for uh, union that we're then called to live in and to share with others day by day. It is with this context and is a, a passage in Thomas Merton. This is found in Merton's Palace of Nowhere, page 14. And again, as with all of these, at least some of them, uh, you'll find a longer, more detailed version of this in the series I did with Sounds True, um, Merton's Path to the Palace of Nowhere. So this is page 14 of Merton's Palace. Um, And I don't have the original text right here with me, but you'll, you'll have it, you'll get it, they'll give it to you. Merton writes, I'll read it, then reflect on it. God, my God, God whom I meet in darkness, With you it is always the same thing, always the same question that nobody knows how to answer. I have prayed you in the daytime with thoughts and reasons, and in the nighttime you have confronted me, scattering thought and reason. I have come to you in the morning with light and with desire, and you have descended upon me with great gentleness, with most forbearing silence in this inexplicable night, dispersing light, defeating all desire. I've explained to you a hundred times my motives for entering the monastery, and you have listened and said nothing, and have turned away and wept, wept with shame. Continues. Let no one hope to find in contemplation an escape from conflict, from anguish, or from doubt. On the contrary, the deep, inexpressible certitude of the contemplative experience awakens a tragic anguish and opens many questions in the depths of the heart, like wounds that cannot stop bleeding. What I want to get at is this. um, When Merton says, this is the key point, I think, 
God, my God, whom I meet in darkness, namely the darkness of this boundaryless state is so incomprehensible to me in the, in the finite um, capabilities of my mind and heart that are being accessed by these longings. God, my God, that darkness, I'm actually blinded by the light of it. My finite eyes are blinded by the light of this infinite desire, which is an echo of God's infinite desire for me. God, my God, whom I meet in darkness, with you it is always the same thing, always the same question that nobody knows how to answer. And here's what I want to, first insight, I think, Merton, here. It seems that when we first start out on this path, like we realize it's, it's kind of is tugging at us, like we, we're, we're, we're drawn towards it. These more contemplative and interior ways of experiencing, responding to God's presence. When we begin, we have a lot of questions, understandably. See, how do I cooperate with this? How do I experience this in prayer? How do I deal with distractions? How do I... Uh, come to terms with my confusion and knowing how to proceed. How do I actually achieve it in, in the midst maybe of a very complicated situation that's going on within myself and in my family or among my loved ones, the challenges of life? How, how, how can I, I have a lot of questions here. See, this is why we're right at the age of spiritual direction. See, where can I find someone well-seasoned in such things to offer a reassuring word? I think Merton offers us that word. And where can I f find this fulfillment? But as I go along this way, kind of patiently, in my Lexio Divina, my prayer, my petitions, my day-by-day uh, -day, um, devotional sincerity, setbacks, mid-setbacks and cul-de-sacs and all the rest of it, you have your life, I have mine. Something starts to shift. We begin to realize it is not us asking the question. Because the only answer we could get would be a finite answer. It's the only answer we could tolerate. But rather here all along, God's the one asking the question. That shift, the, 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 the purgative process of wondering, beginning with how can I get an answer to help me with my wondering, what do I do next? As we keep leaning into it and working with it, it can start to roll over into a realization that here all the while, God's the one asking the question. And then we realize not only do we not know the answer to God's question, see, we, we don't understand the question. And in knowing that I, we don't understand the question, we, we come to poverty of spirit. And in the poverty of spirit, we come to our complete dependence on God in the kind of childlike simplicity. So if this is up to us to find our way, this is not looking good, but it's not up to us. And here through our own poverty, our own poverty deeply accepted as the gate of heaven, through which this streaming uh, unconsummated longing deepens and radicalizes itself in our heart and lay, makes its claim upon our life. And you can start to see then the bankruptcy of all one's previous agendas and all one's previous 
assumptions about what we thought it all meant and what it was all for and all of this. I have prayed to you in the daytime with thoughts and reason, and in the nighttime, namely this night, see this inexplicable night, you confronted me and scattered thought and reason. I come to you in the morning with light and with desire. You have descended upon me with great gentleness, with most forbearing silence in this inexplicable night, dispersing light, defeating all desire. And in the willingness then to live, and I would say this too, I don't think this just happens in prayer, but it does happen in prayer. But we start to notice the dynamics of this welling up out of the most fundamental day-by-day uh, -day realities of our life. In our daily intimacy, we're lack thereof, our physical health or lack thereof, our security or lack thereof, our direction in life or lack thereof. And in the midst of it, if we don't panic, if we don't panic, we can start to see kind of underlying continuity of the same rhythm of a deepening invitation to hand ourselves over to God's care who's achieving this work in us that we don't understand in ways that we don't understand. And I think this is the, is the purgative process. This, this kind of um, unraveling of ourselves on our own terms. And to get at this, I'd like to suggest a couple ways that helps me to kind of uh, see this phenomena occurring in daily life. <clears throat> And I like to apply it to um, first to married love, and then to uh, other modalities, to poetry, solitude, uh, and so on, service to the community. And, and the, the point is this, the insight is this, is that when two people are on this journey together of um, giving themselves to each other in love, they are in that day-by-day process with all its complexities and givens. They, they, they reach a certain depth of experiential oneness with one another in love. And from the vantage point of that depth, they're able to glimpse a yet deeper depth of love. Another thing that happens sometimes is isn't that they glimpse the deeper depth of love, but the deeper depth of love, the qualitatively richer depth of love, comes welling up into their present depth of love, like touching them or amazing them with an even yet more boundaryless depth, and then dissipates into the depth not yet realized. And having seen that depth, or having momentarily tasted it, they long to go there. The, the love within them inspires or impels them to go to that deeper place. And then they discover they can't go there. They cannot go there except through a willingness to be mutually vulnerable with each other and their powerlessness to go there and to take a very close look and to help each other to see what's hindering them from going there like these holding on places, or these places of compromised uh, fidelity or compromised patience or compromised acceptance or compromised humility or compromised whatever that is. Just the 
about love. And and as they as they and as they give themselves over to that process, they discover resistance to doing it because it implies a letting go or moving beyond customary boundaries in love. And I'm calling that the purgative aspect of the transformative process, in which that deeper place arises, the fulfillment arises. And so we could say then that the the same uh, process that we're putting words to here happens to anyone who's drawn to a certain kind of radicality of longing, whether it be through, through poetry or through painting, or th- through um, a service of the community, or uh, solitude, uh, uh, sustained periods of silence, giving ourselves over to the beauty and gift of the world of nature to the world, or giving ourselves over to the to, to a child, to children, or to a or to a community of people. There is this process that I'm speaking of now, this kind of the, the gift of a, of a deeper longing and the gift of the purgative process of all that we must let go of and lean into for that longing to be fulfilled. And I have to say, too, then it seems to me, that there's also then, uh, in terms of illumined by faith, that we're able to recognize the presence of God being mediated to us in these modalities of transformation. That is, the, the, the people can see the presence of God presencing itself in and as their love toward each other. Whereas parents, they can see or sense the presence of God presencing itself, calling them in their presence to their child. Or the artist can see the presence of God shining out through the aesthetic impulse and a desire to lean in deeper, to open themselves deeper, to giving themselves over to being a conduit for beauty in the world, and so on. So they see these mediations of, of, uh, of faith. And also we see it uh, in, in the context of religious faith itself, through, through prayer, uh, through Lexio Divina, an earlier session, God, uh, I do not see the Lord God, I do not, my Lord God, I do not see the road ahead of me. I do not know for certain where it will end, and so on. And so we can see w- within prayer itself, within the mediations of our prayer, we can see these intimations and these openings up of this deeper calling place to that. Okay. <clears throat> now, we might say this then, this is the intimate depth dimension of our faith. And uh, we, we, we journey forward in faith, that the, 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 the norm of this faith is love, and that we live in hope that when death comes, we'll not be annihilated but consummated, and will pass through the veil of death into unmediated, infinite union with the infinite love of God, which is our destiny. It's mediated here on the earthly plane. We sense it as an Amir darkly. We're drawn to it. And then we trust when death comes, it opens out upon this unmediated union as destiny, which is the reason we were created in the first place. So now the mystical part comes in from 
Merton, all these mystics we'll be looking at here together. See, the mystical part comes in, in which one begins to sense in the, in the midst of these mediated realizations and surrenders to, to all these realms of transformation. We, we begin to sense that there's something in us that doesn't want to wait until we're dead in order to find our way into unmediated, infinite union with the infinite love of God, that there is growing within us a certain longing see, for, for, for unmediated union into um, entering into the, into the depths of God's life and sharing and living God's life as deeply as God lives God's own life. We feel a longing for that. And we're graced in knowing, and this is the scriptures, and this is what Thomas Merton is telling us, all the mystics. This longing is an echo in our heart of God's infinite longing for us not to wait until we're dead to experience this union, which is in the earlier reflection on creation, which is already here. That is, if we, if we open up the aperture of our heart all the way, we come to the God-given, godly nature of the infinite presence of God presencing itself as the world, as our body, as time, as space, as everything, but, but hidden. See, it's, it's veiled. And, uh, and then we start seeing it through these mediations. So how then do we, we see that God then is calling us to a certain kind of urgency of love, that God is calling us not to wait until we're dead, to enter into this infinite union with the infinite, even while we're still on this earth, which is, which is the mystic longing. So it's a kind of a longing that we don't understand for a union that we don't understand, but which stirs within us in ways that we don't understand, calling us out onto this path, see, where can I go? And I think here's where we see Thomas Merton and these mystics. We, we may be fortunate enough to, to find someone well-seasoned in such things to sit with. This is what sends people out on a long pilgrimage to the gates of monasteries, the ashrams and sanghas and gatherings, of Sufi gatherings and Kabbalah gatherings, and for us, these mystical things. But also, sometimes we can find it in the deathless presence of the mystic teacher who writes with such purity that somehow the, 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 the cadence of Merton's voice echoes and reawakens and bears witness to this, um, this, this longing see, of uh, how to trust it, how to move with it, and how to understand uh, how, to pr how to move forward in it, see, in obediential fidelity to it, without unwittingly getting in our own way, because the ego is in water over its head at this point. We're kind of, um, uh, you know, not... Uh, the finite ego, so illumined and so called, is by itself uh, not adept without the guidance of God of how to fulfill this longing. And this is what um, uh, I think Merton is calling us to for those so-called. This is where he's coming from, because this is how he lived his life. And we also then know then, what we're saying is that the purgur purgative part is that this union I long for, therefore, see, uh, not to wait until I'm dead, cannot occur unless I interiorly die. 
To anything less or other than an infinite union with infinite love is the sole source of my security and identity. As, as long as there's a, it's a quote from John of the Cross, you know, that a bird held by a slender thread is held just as much a prisoner as one held by a great rope if it won't break that thread. That if, if we don't then um, learn from God how to d- pass beyond or to die to the dependency on anything less than infinite union with the infinite love of God as a sole source for security and identity, this living in the divinity of our life in God cannot occur. And this is where then we need God's guidance to give us the courage and the clarity to undergo this purgative process of, of dying, by dying to the, the forces of love, to all that is less than love, that it burns away the hindrances until there's nothing left but love. That's why we say that the mystic is not the one who says, listen to what I've experienced, listen to what I've attained, but rather the mystic says, look what love has done to me, that there's nobody left but love. And then such people are so strangely present as bearing witness to God's presence in the world. And then we realize, could this possibly apply to us? See, with all of our confusion, is it possible that God uses the weak to confound the strong? And am I being called and led along this path? And so then, um, so Merton writes, we cannot arrive at the perfect possession of God in this life. That is why we are traveling and in darkness. But we already possess him by grace. And therefore, in that sense, we have arrived and are dwelling in the light. But oh, how far I have to go to find you in whom I have already arrived. That's a nice, it's nice. For now, O oh my God, it is to you alone that I can talk, because nobody else will understand. I cannot bring any other person on this earth into this cloud where I dwell in your light, that is your darkness where I am lost and abashed. I cannot explain to any other person the anguish which is your joy, nor the loss which is the possession of you, nor the distance from all things which is the arrival in you, nor the death, which is the birth in you, because I do not know anything about it myself. And all I know is that I wished it were over. I wished it were begun. You have contradicted everything. You have left me in no man's land. Merton says somewhere, is the most important thing in your life is something that you don't know and don't need to know because God loves you. And this is the purgation of love, uh, delivering us and carrying us beyond the boundaries of everything less than love, and folding in, and folding in our heart in the midst of our situation. So then let's, let's do a brief sit here. And um, again, here will be, on the recording itself, will be brief then on your own, or you may repeatedly listen to this as part of your daily rendezvous with God, you can extend this the sitting period out, you know, to your own inclinations or to the own givens of the day based on how you're praying and meditating in the midst of things. <clears throat> so with this, then, I, I invite you to uh, sit straight and fold your hands in prayer and bow. 
Repeat after me. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. Saint Benedict, pray for us. Saint Scholastica, pray for us. Blessings. Until uh, next time.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.